This is Advancing Your Business, Your People, and Legacy podcast, where we will discuss all things impacting the growth, value, and sustainability of privately held businesses. This podcast is produced by the Rawls Group, Business Succession Planners, and I am Kendall Rawls, your host. The last year has forced us all to think differently. We were all forced to operate different from our norm, which results in changing perspectives. Employee and customer mindsets have changed, which means it is essential for leaders and owners to also think differently. In this episode of the Innovative Recruiting and Retention Strategies to Land Top Talent series, Suzanne Malo, Director of DHG Search, and Champ Rawls, a succession planner with the Rawls Group, discusses key learnings you should apply to your business moving forward as a result of the pandemic. Here we go. Suzanne, how do you land the right candidate who is worth more than the offer you have put together? You know, I think the first thing to remember is that talent is really at a premium right now. And, you know, you may need to put the budget number or the offer that you're considering to the side and just focus on attracting the candidate. You will likely have to pay more or premium for the right candidate. Everything seems to be more expensive right now. And talent is one of those things that are more expensive. We are seeing that Candidates that are really active uh, tend to have multiple offers and it gets somewhat competitive. So I think the, 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 the thing that you need to look at is to really focus on finding the candidate that's going to be the best fit for your organization and try to put the dollar figure kind of out of the picture, um, at least, you know, initially. So what can you do to balance the, you know, they are worth more, but this is all you can offer conundrum. You know, I think um, candidates are not always focused on money. It's not necessarily their number one factor in making their decision. So although, you know, I just said that there are candidates with multiple offers, sometimes they don't necessarily pick the offer that is the highest. I think it's important for companies to really communicate what their culture and mission and vision are and make sure that the that the candidate really aligns with that because I think that that's really the crux of a long-term um, employee-employer relationship. I also think that employers need to realize that recruiting is very much like a courtship and they should treat it that way. And you know, just like when you have a first interview with a candidate, you shouldn't let a ton of time lapse between one meeting and the next communication. You really need to tell them how you feel and what your intentions are. If you, if you like them and you intend to hire them, then you should communicate that to them. Kind of that playing hard to get isn't really a great strategy in recruiting. Um, and you still may need to get aggressive with the offer, you know, if money, if money comes down to the, the crux of the, of the situation and that's the person you ultimately want to hire. Suzanne, what are you seeing out there in regards to you know, if it can't all just be about the money, about the package benefits. I mean, I think, absolutely, yeah. I think, I think the total package is completely part of the equation. It's not just the base salary and the bonus potential, but, you know, there's, there are other things to consider, um, you know, benefits, health and dental and 401k. Um, if the company has some sort of phantom stock or any kind of um, ESOP type program, that's a very um, big hook in terms of attracting candidates. You know, demos and, and you know, 
just extra perks that are kind of outside of uh, the norm um, would be attractive. Um, some companies offer to pay the employees um, healthcare. So that could be a big um, you know, nugget for a, a, an employee. I also think the flexibility part of where we're at today, I know a lot of people are going back to work, but I think it is the, um, you know, however you call it, work from home balance and the vacation schedule. When, when it comes to money, I think to your point, Suzanne, um, people are, are looking for candidates so much right now and the pool is so small that yes, it's just this game of who can pay more. But I think if you can add the culture, add the package, add the benefits, add the vacation to make your company and position more attractive than others, you know, money will find itself out as we go further into, you know, 22, 23. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have definitely learned to live in a virtual world and things have definitely changed with regard to the way people think about um, remote and hybrid and flexibility. Um, you know, some positions that works well, other positions in a dealership, it doesn't, but I, I think yeah, that you have to think creatively. Champ, what kind of innovative compensation plans can you build to attract the candidate who fits? Um, I think innovative compensation plans are one of the most important things in car dealerships today. Um, your run-of-the-mill um, plan to attract candidates, um, from my perspective, ha you got to get more creative. And so the more creative that you are to um, help entice somebody to come on board to your team and to manage them to what you want them to do, I think is um, the most important part when putting together a benefit compensation package. And there's a lot of different ways to do it. Um, I think incentive-based pay plans are obviously um, the very simple way to do it. You can tie anything into CSI, um, ESI, um, return on sales if they're a, uh, you know, manager, executive level type of thing, um, bonuses for earnings of growth on, on the business. Um, we often get more intricate in the upper level management um, structure such as phantom stock or um, stock appreciation rights um, where you're able to um, creatively develop a competitive pay plan for somebody where they can uh, feel like they are part owner of your store, but as the title says, phantom stock, you don't have to share in the actual ownership and partnership of the store. Um, some other creative uh, compensation plans to consider would be what are called supplemental executive retirement plans. These are otherwise known as golden handcuffs that can be put on top of a, um, you know, a normal pay plan that allows somebody to um, earn extra money as a retirement plan on the side, whereas the owner or manager of the dealership also gets to target how that is funded due to performance, CSI, culture, all of those type of things. So, um, 
as I said at the beginning, I think that creative compensation plans right now are so important. Uh, it is hard to attract people. It is hard to keep them. And the more that you keep them engaged with their own performance, the better they will perform, the more engaged they will be um, to eventually do what you want them to do. Um, create champ, the entire when, school. When you, when you, I'm sorry, when you have no, yeah. um, a, a, a phantom stock or uh you know, an appreciate, you know, an equity appreciation uh, kind of situation, does there have to be a transaction for the employee to, uh, to, to, you know, get compensated for that quote stock? Do they, can they, uh, can it vest? And then does the dealer, you know, end up buying them out at some point in time? Um, that, that's all in the technicalities. So I, I would say yes, um, that, the phantom stock, if they were to be bought out of it, they're essentially being bought out of that stock, but um, that can be developed any way that you want. Um, it could be book value, it could be a multiple. I mean, that that's where you really get into the beginning. And as I was saying, you are able to get creative with this to really motivate your manager or employees or whoever you're developing this for to um work as you see fit and i think uh i've done them all different ways in regards to the vesting of a phantom stock or that type of thing and how if they left they would get bought out but i think that's the fun in this i and i might sound crazy but i do think it is uh fun because it does allow you to get um you know creative about again how do i want to motivate this person to do what i want them to do well, and the majority of the folks that, you know, we encounter, um, you know, one of the things that they, if they're, if they are willing to look or, or leave their current employer, one of the things that they say um, would be most attractive and kind of the reason for them to make a move would be to have some sort of ownership. You know, it doesn't have to be, you know, full equity can be any of the scenarios that you painted, but in many cases, they don't have that um, opportunity where they work. And so that's the one thing that might be missing. And so that's the one carrot that can be offered that might uh, be enticing to them. And, I, and to that point, you know, I'm sure you run across this a lot, just as I do. Um, owners are reticent to take on partners. You know, if you're right. a owner and you've been that way forever, um, don't come and talk to me about, you know, selling 10% of my stock to a key manager. Um, I've heard that a hundred times, if not a thousand. Um, and so every time that we hear that, that the, the stock appreciation rights or the phantom stock option, those come into play because it's doing the same thing. Um, obviously the, the key manager is not an owner of the business, but it's as close as we can get to creating a partnership where, as you were saying earlier, you know, there's a vesting schedule and they know if they're bought out, it'll be at this value or this multiple. So, um, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it's what I hear a lot from key managers as well. Why would I move to go somewhere else if I don't have an opportunity to buy in? And these creative tools are a way for owners to sell those top key managers to come work for me. And I can create something for you that you might not be my direct partner, but 
we're going to do something that um, sets you up well. Champ, how do you know when you're in a better position to recruit externally versus internally? It's a great question, Kendall. And I think uh, recruiting right now is such a um, vital part of the industry because everybody's looking for talent. And um, I think there's definitely uh, a need for both. Um, recruiting internally, I'll start with, I think is important um, when you have a culture that has been developed that sees people growing from the lowest levels to the top. Um, oftentimes, you know, we'll hear, you know, this person started as a porter and now is a general sales manager. Um, and the reason why I think that is, it's great to hear and we like it is because when you recruit, recruit internally, successfully, you're able to maintain culture that hopefully is positive and built and grow with people. Oftentimes when I see external recruiting um, not done professionally with somebody like a Suzanne very well, um, that has gone wrong is when they just start trying to pull people and get desperate other places and people who come might not be from the same town, area, culture. And oftentimes six months later, they're gone. And so that's where, you know, internally, I think you gotta be thinking of what kind of culture do I have? Is it one of growth? Do you have a leadership, de leadership development program? And if those things are in place, that's where I would focus on internal um, recruiting. Now, externally, um, I think Suzanne probably has a much better um, insight into that. But I mean, we look to Suzanne and, and that, those organizations all the time to um, externally recruit because you don't have the talent inside your own company to be able to fulfill the strategic goals that you set out for the organization. And oftentimes, if you want to get it to A to point B and you don't have that person externally going out and finding someone to help you find the top talent that does fit your culture, that does understand where you're at or where you're going, um, is super important to aligning everybody's goals. Well, and I would also say that um, sometimes companies or owners are um, not really thinking about the people that are within their company that could potentially fill a, a role that's a step up for them. Like sometimes they just immediately think they have to go external and, and perhaps the, the people that, you know, are, are, you know, loyal in the company have done a great job and know the culture and embrace the culture of the company perhaps they're ready for that next step and they just need somebody to, um, you know, teach them what they don't know in order for them to step up into that role. And, and sometimes your best employees are the people that you've had working for you that are ready. They're, they're ready to be promoted and, and given an opportunity. Um, but I do think when you go externally, um, if you don't align culturally, you know, we always say to our clients, um, we're going to look not just for the technical skill set, 
you know, the, the, the creds on the resume, that's not what we're looking for. I mean, it is partly what we're looking for, but we're also looking for a match in terms of culture and fit and personality of the organization and just the heartbeat of the organization. Because if, if, if the person that comes in doesn't match that culture, it won't be a long-term fit. That has to be a match or the person will be a short timer. Suzanne, what are the top things the pandemic has taught us as it relates to recruiting and retaining key talent? Well, I think we have to think differently, first of all. Um, I mean, the world changed and employees' mindsets changed and we've really learned to live in a virtual world. So um, number one is we got to think about everything differently. Um, number two, I think people are looking for remote work or hybrid remote slash onsite type positions. We, because we've learned to live in a virtual world and so many people have literally been working through Zoom or a, a hybrid of Zoom and onsite for the last 15 months, I believe that people like that and are looking to do it more. Um, now, some positions within a dealership, it's really impossible for them to have a complete remote or complete uh, hybrid type environment. But I would venture to say that kind of the bell to bell schedule is out. Um, I mean, if you just look at the way our customers are buying, you know, more, more customers are buying online than ever before. And so do you need to have your showroom packed with employees or can you utilize some of your employees in like a BDC type environment that are, you know, not necessarily in your showroom. And I guess the other thing that we've learned is that interviews can take place over Zoom very easily. I remember um, in April of last year, I had interviews that were supposed to be face-to-face -face scheduled and it was going to be impossible for people to get on planes and, you know, fly across the country to have these meetings. And uh, we, we set these interviews up over Zoom. And I remember thinking to myself, this is going to be a disaster. I mean, how is this ever going to work? And I'm sure my clients were feeling the same way, but we were forced into it. And we realized that we really can get to know somebody through a computer screen, crazy as it is. I do think that it doesn't replace it completely. And ultimately, you do need to meet these people face to face. But I, I think that initial interviews um, and even into second and third talks can be done um, virtually. I would add too, I, I think Suzanne, your point about different positions will require different responsibilities. Um, I mean, obviously your top management, you know, I think it has changed, like you're saying, of needing to be there eight to 9 p.m. Um, and being flexible. And I think that's the biggest word that I've learned 2020. Um, and that I think most people have, especially in recruiting and retaining key talent is if you're not flexible with your talent, they'll find somewhere else to go because people are desperate right now for employees and top mm -hmm. talent. And I think people are willing to pay a lot of money as well. So um, I think the first thing when you're talking about when we're talking here is what do you have to do to retain? And that goes back to again, what's your culture, what's your pay plan, and how creative are you in being flexible to meeting the needs of your, your people? Um, and once you have been able to retain your base, then I think the next question is going out in, okay, 
the needs that you have, how do you recruit, who do you recruit with, recruiting failures that I've seen during the pandemic, and I think it's kind of just the cracks have been more exposed, is the people who are doing the recruiting don't have a consistent process that they follow. Mm -hmm. And I think that is so important with this, that it's when you get a resume, you do this and you decline them and you, you know, and I always go back to, okay, well, what was your process? And they go, I don't know. I just didn't like that person. That is to me a losing process because Mm -hmm. there's not a check, 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 and you can't compare it. Right. Um, and we, we tell our clients, you, you've got to stick with us through a process and, and dealers are very, um, you know, I love dealers. They're entrepreneurial. They think, they think quickly, they act with gut instinct, which is all great. But when it comes to recruiting, that's probably not the best means to um, make, you know, hiring decisions is uh, quickly and with your gut, you know. kind of goes to what you're saying, champ, if you have a process that you lay out at the beginning, when you have a position to fill and you know, this, this is what I'm going to do first, second, third, this is how I'm going to communicate with the candidate. I'm going to, you know, if, if a person comes in here that I really like, I'm going to court them, you know, as silly as that might sound, this is a courtship. You are recruiting them. You are trying to entice them to come work for you. And you know, as we've said in another episode before, playing hard to get probably isn't the greatest recruiting strategy. I also think, and Suzanne, you, this is your expertise too, but I've been running into this as well, the, prof- the professional candidate. Um, and I think to me, and when I say professional candidate, that, that to me means that person that you are recruiting that is the professional interviewee. They say all the right things. They're so positive. They are, they got the great resume. They're like the, they got stars around them. Um, and in the, the automobile industry, like, you know, we're saying it's a lot about sales. So they're also known as the perfect salesman of themselves. And for me, I always tell my clients who are in the recruiting process or interview process, if you don't have a process that you consistently follow, that you ask the same questions, you do the same things, you're going to get enamored by the bright, shiny object that oftentimes comes into your organ organization. And then three months later, you're going, that's not the person I thought I hired because they're a professional interviewee. Right. They're car salesmen. <laughs> yes. And, and I'm, and that's where I, I just can't emphasize enough. I think the process, process, process to be able to compare apples to apples, not go, I just looked at some apples and then that's a really bright, shiny work. Um, and then I do think, um, Suzanne, you know, I have seen a lot of over the last year and even coming up alternate alternative work arrangements mm-hmm. um, where, and really, again, I think this is probably so much not for your run of the mill salesmen and all that kind of stuff. But um, I think with the working from home and working remote, um, and it really goes back into what we were talking about at the beginning, retaining key talent is um, answering key manager requests to saying, you know, listen, I was burnt out last year. I need a week working from where I need to work. Um, I will get it done. We will have a system. We will have a calendar. Um, and having seen my dealers agree to that has been 
pretty amazing coming from, you know, 15 to 2019, there was no talk of that. Right. Well, and I also think that uh, companies are a little bit more open to the idea if I'll give you an example. I have um, a client that has found the right candidate, um, but his son is going to be a senior in high school and they don't want to move immediately. And the client has decided that the individual can live where his son is going to go to high school and, you know, basically be remote where they're going to, you know, kind of come back um, on, come on site, you know, maybe it's a couple times a month. So there's going to be some travel involved, but it will keep the family from having to uproot while the child finishes his last year of high school. And then they will relocate. And, and I think you only do that if you have found the perfect candidate right. and the timing doesn't work exactly how it should, or what you, exactly how you want to, it is possible to think creatively and think differently about the way that you could make it work. And I have a couple of hybrid remote type positions right now that I'm working on. It's the first time I've ever dealt with this where the, the, the company actually doesn't care where this person lives. They don't. And it's, it, it opens it up completely. Now, yeah. I think it, that's a, that's a very unique position and a very unique situation. Yes. Not yeah. everybody can do that, but th it just goes back to thinking creatively. Can you do that? If you think yeah. it's possible, then maybe you should talk about that as a recruiting strategy, offering that as an option. Well, and I remember I had to, just to make one more point there, tell one of my dealers when one of their key executives brought this to them that they wanted to work um, remote for uh, over a week, a month, um, that if you have multiple rooftops, the reality that your key executives are going to be in every car dealership that you own every month or every week doesn't happen anyway. So the concept of this has been occurring before 2020. We just were thought of it into a different way. And if you can take your mind into thinking about it that way, I think it is not so far-fetched to go, mm -hmm. um, this is possible. And like you said, right. the expectation is there's a structure. You will be, there's travel. You're gonna be in the management company office or the dealerships. Um, but I think it goes back to what we're saying. Recruiting and retaining has never been harder. And if you're not flexible and creative enough to do these sort of things, somebody else will be. Suzanne, what are the top recommendations for recruiting and landing top talent? Well, the first thing I would say is interview thoroughly. Um, you know, dealers are um, talkers by nature and they love to sell their uh, organization. And so they tend to sometimes do all the talking. And in order to really get to the heart of who a person is, you have to ask probing questions. In another episode, we talked about how you should have a process when you interview. And one of those things is to ask the same questions of all the candidates. You know, if, if you need to write them down, write them down. Make sure that you're asking thorough questions. Let them answer those questions and then ask follow-up questions. Don't just walk through their resume, but ask them things like, you know, who was their favorite boss and why? And where was their favorite place to work and why? And, you know, if 
if they ever mentored anybody, who was it? And what do you think that they, that you did to uh, create that mentor relationship? And what do you think they would say about you? All those things are nice probing questions that are not just, what did you do at XYZ company? The other thing I would say is references. You cannot believe everything that everyone tells you because they're selling. Um, you're hiring people that sell cars for a living, so they certainly can sell themselves really well. So you've got to check them out. I put my BS meter on high when I'm interviewing, and I make sure that if they if they sound like they might be contradicting themselves, then to me, that's a red flag, and I check them out. And I guess last thing is don't forget that this is a courtship. This is something that you're trying to entice them to come work for you. You know, when you were dating somebody, like let's say you were dating your, your, your now spouse, you know, you didn't play hard to get. You, you kind of have to think about it the same way. Um, but when you realize that you want to hire them, then tell them that you want you want to hire them. You want to make this work and get them excited about coming to work for you. So many times, even though there might be a fantastic interview, a client might get really busy, a, you know, a dealer might get really busy and forget, oh, I interviewed this person and I really liked them, but I haven't, you know, called them in three weeks. Well, do, what do you think that person that interviewed three weeks ago thinks about how that interview went. They think it went terrible. Meanwhile, the dealer thinks it went great. If you don't communicate, then you could lose somebody through the process of not communicating. I would also add, Suzanne, and, and I think you've experienced this, that more so from the recruiting and landing top talent is there's a big difference between being a um, organization that is known for treating their employees well and a great place to work, conversely to an organization that is essentially just a rat race, you know, chews them up and spits them out. And to me, I think that is so important in this, and I'm sure they come across your mind right now, those organizations who are talent targets, people want to go work for them. And when I say that, it's that they promote a strong culture. They promote a culture of growth and development. Come work for us, and we're going to give you an opportunity to move up in the organization. Um, not just come here, we're going to work you to death, and then you're going to be burnt out and have to go somewhere else. And I think those are the organizations that I love to work with, that I love to help um, understand how powerful that can be that as soon as you get known for that, um, top talent is knocking down your door. They want to be part of your organization. They want to be part of something that's growing, that's thriving, that um, has nice facilities, has professionalism, um, has a um, corporate culture, you know, those things that are positive to um people who want to be employed by a uh, organization that they feel proud to tell their friends. Champ cannot have nailed it any better on the head. The key to land and retaining top talent is your culture. People talk in the industry so people know who the worst places are to work for and the best places to work. If you're unsure where you land, look at your turnover or better yet, ask for feedback in an engagement survey. 
The recruitment and retention of top talent is essential to building business value, sustaining business performance, implementing strategic plans, and consequently, the achievement of succession goals. The next episode of the series focuses on strategies for landing the right candidate who may be worth more than the offer you've pulled together. Do you have a question you want to discuss with an expert? Feel free to reach out directly to Suzanne or Champ at the email addresses listed on the screen. Continue listening to the series now or come back later for more. Each topic featured may want you to learn something new.